Well, uh, this week um, uh, we want to do a couple of different things. Uh, one is we want to continue our study of the book of Acts. We're just going to read uh, a few verses. I, uh, we want to uh, refer to what we were talking about last week about Habakkuk uh, a little bit and then uh, move forward. Uh, well, you know, it goes without saying that certainly our world is uh, in turmoil. There's a lot happening, right? Uh, we're all aware of it. Uh, whether we're talking about the COVID-19 uh, issue or we're talking uh, about the George Floyd death and aftermath uh, and the issue of racism and uh, inequality and justice uh, here, you know, in the United States uh, and, uh, and, and a host of other things. And I know that this can be really troubling for us. And so last week when we were in Habakkuk, uh, we talked about that. We talked about that a little bit, about Habakkuk the prophet feeling that he had been abandoned by God and wondering why there was so much violence and problems uh, in his world. And God uh, came and gave him an answer and told him that uh, he needed to wait and in the meantime uh, to live faithfully. Uh, and then he talks about uh, uh, being aware of how God has uh, been powerful throughout history and has brought discipline and has brought deliverance. And we talked about uh, his testimony of feeling helpless uh, and unable to control his circumstances and feeling terrified. Uh, yet uh, he had uh, a deep-seated hope in God, not based on an optimistic uh, look at his circumstances, but his hope was in his trust and promise in God. And therefore, he was able to see to say that his feet were like hinds feet in high places, that he uh, had a firm standing on a precarious place because his strength uh, was uh, was in the Lord. Uh, and certainly that applies, uh, you know, to us personally, uh, if we're fearful and we're anxious uh, about our world and and things of that nature, there is certainly hope in God when we read his word and we uh, understand his ever presence with us, as we have been talking about uh, these number of weeks. Hopefully uh, we are strengthened and know that our hope uh, is, uh, is in uh, the Lord. Uh, but now that Shavuot is over, uh, and uh, we're kind of now on the journey again, you know, of the journey of life, uh, I thought we would uh, begin again uh, in our study of the book of Acts. But at the same time, we need to talk about uh, our current events a little bit uh, and what that means to us uh, as individuals and as a community. So first, we want to go to Acts chapter 8. First, we want to turn back to the book of Acts uh, in Acts uh, chapter 8. Okay, so where we left off, uh, just to make a long story short, uh, the Spirit of God was poured out. Uh, Yeshua said, you shall be witnesses, right, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth, right, when the Ruach is poured out. And then Yeshua disappeared into the cloud. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, took his seat uh, in heavenly places, uh, and poured out 10 days later, on the 50th day, on Shavuot, 
poured out the uh, Aruach. Uh, and uh, the apostles gained power, just like he said there. You shall receive power when the Ruach comes upon you to preach this uh, preach this message. Uh, and uh, we see that that's exactly what happened. So we have the testimony of the good news going forth in Jerusalem and in Judea. In Jerusalem and in Judea. And we read about the Jerusalem Jews and the and also the uh, Hellenistic Jews uh, receiving the message. And where we left off a few months ago was a problem among the Hellenistic Jewish community of Stephen, a Hellenistic uh, Jewish man who knew the Lord, bringing the good news to a Hellenistic synagogue, uh, and it cost him his life. He was a martyr that uh, it was not received well, and uh, he was uh, killed for it. Right, But in the big scheme of things, what we see is that this message has gone forth to Jerusalem and Judea and to the Jerusalem Jews and to the Hellenistic uh, uh, Jews. And now we come to chapter 8. We come to chapter 8. And we read about Saul. And Saul was heartily in hearty agreement with putting him to death, meaning Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution arose amongst the congregation in Jerusalem. Uh, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, meaning the apostles stayed behind in Jerusalem. Uh, there was a thriving congregation in Jerusalem. Uh, however, uh, that many people, because of persecution, went out to uh, outer regions, began to spread this message because of persecution. So it says, And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. Uh, and so we see that Stephen was buried and people lamented over his death. Then it says, But Saul began ravaging the congregation, entering house after house and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So we see that uh, Saul, uh, later we know who he is, uh, he's not yet a believer in Messiah. And he was a persecutor of the community of faith, of believers. And what we see is, is that he began uh, rounding up uh, the Messianic Jews. Perhaps uh, he was motivated by the fact that the message was spreading out and he was trying to dampen the, the message spreading out. We don't know exactly, uh, but quite clearly as the message was going into Samaria and beyond, uh, Samaria and into Syria, that he was concerned and, and he was rounding up uh, the uh, Jewish believers. But as a result of the persecution, one thing we learn is, is that the message of Messiah, Yeshua, was spreading. So we see that persecution meant uh, that the message was spreading. Then we begin to read about Philip. And we read here, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. That's verse 4. And now in verse 5, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Messiah to them. And we're just going to stop right there. That he went to this, he went to the city of Samaria, and began proclaiming Messiah 
to them. That's really a pretty big deal that he went to Samaria. He went to an unlikely place to bring the message. He went to an uncomfortable place to bring the message. He didn't just stay uh, in the confines of uh, Jerusalem and uh, Judea. Uh, he didn't just stay among the confines of the people that he was used to. But because of the persecution, he didn't, he didn't complain. They did not complain about the persecution. But what they did is they went out and they brought uh, the message uh, to outer, outer regions. And in this case, uh, the city of Samaria. Now, there's a question we want to ask ourselves here. When we read here that it says, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began to proclaim Messiah to them. What does that mean? What does it mean that he says he proclaimed Messiah to them? First of all, remember, the Samaritans uh, were not uh, friendly with uh, the rest of the Jewish world. They were not. Uh, they were antagonists, right? Remember the uh, parable that the Messiah tells about the good Samaritan? See, th this was a story that would have gotten a big aha from his hearers. Because we see that you have a Jerusalem Jew, basically, is in trouble. And the person who helps him is the most unlikely of people. And that is a Samaritan, a good Samaritan, right? This would have raised the eyebrows of the people. And that answers a question of who is my neighbor? So Yeshua teaches that our neighbor is everybody. Our neighbor is people in need. Our neighbor is where there's a need. Not just our physical neighbor, the person who lives next door to us, or a person who lives in our neighborhood, but where there is a need. That is uh, who our neighbor is. And so Philip goes to Samaria, and here he proclaims Messiah. What does that mean? Which leads to a bigger question for us, and that is, what is the good news? What is it that, what is the message that is being proclaimed? Now, we talked about the, uh, uh, in a way, we talked about the message in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, the restoration of Israel, right? Uh, that is good news uh, uh, for Jewish people, right? Uh, proclaiming the restoration of Israel, uh, I'm not sure about uh, the Samaritan. Uh, uh, perhaps uh, we know that Philip is going to talk to a eunuch uh, who's reading Isaiah 53. Uh, he's from Ethiopia. And he's reading Isaiah 53, and, and he's concerned, and we'll talk about that in, in you know, weeks to come. But what is the good news? What is the message when it says Philip preached Messiah? Now, perhaps it's the restoration of Israel. Perhaps it's Psalm 110. Perhaps it's Psalm 22. Perhaps it's Isaiah 53. All of that, right? Uh, because all of that is indeed relevant uh, for everybody, not just Jewish people, uh, but it certainly is relevant for everyone. Well, it is kind of interesting when you think about the good news. Now, we're not going to spend our entire time talking about every passage that uses the word gospel or good news, but we want to point out a couple of different things. 
If you go back to the words of uh, Messiah, uh, we read in um, the Gospel of Mark, actually, I guess we could turn to, uh, at the beginning, we read these words. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Messiah Yeshua, the Son of God, the King, right? The Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Right? Uh, and so Yohanan, uh, the immerser, appeared. Uh, in the wilderness preaching, an immersion of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? Uh, and it's very interesting. Uh, we read uh, a little further uh, down. We read, uh, uh, an immediate, when Yeshua uh, comes on the scene, uh, we read, and it came about in those days that Yeshua came from Nazareth in Galilee and was immersed by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And, this, and a voice came out of the heavens, Thou art my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay. Now a little farther down we read in verse 14, And after John had been taken into custody, Yeshua came into Galilee, preaching the good news of God, preaching the good news of God. And what does he say? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay. And so what does he say when he's preaching the gospel? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God uh, is at hand. If we were to read this in the gospel of Matthew, we would read that both John and and Yeshua both said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, in the gospel of Luke, uh, in the fourth chapter, we read here these words. In verse 43 and 44, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent to this purpose, for this purpose. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Again, the kingdom of God. He's preaching the kingdom of God. Now, we need to get even more specific. What does that mean? Well, certainly we know that it means the inbreaking of the Alam Haba into this world uh, in a new way, in, a, uh, in an invisible uh, kind of way. But what is the good news about the inbreaking uh, of uh, this kingdom of God. Why is it good news? Uh, and so if we look all, again in the Gospel of Luke, in the fourth chapter, uh, we read these words. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and, he, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable 
year of uh, of the Lord. Uh, and so if we go back, now Yeshua is quoting a passage. Notice it says he opened up to the book of Isaiah. So in Isaiah chapter 61, we read uh, uh, here these words. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then after that, it says, in the day of vengeance of our God, uh, to comfort all who mourn. But what is interesting is that in the Gospel of Luke, he pauses, he stops before uh, he says, in the day of vengeance of our God. Uh, and so he focuses on this release, on this redemption. And it's very interesting because really the favorable year of the Lord is a euphemism, frankly, for the year of Jubilee that we read about in Leviticus chapter 25. The year of Jubilee was a year of release. It was the 50th year, the re release from bondage. People would uh, uh, go back to the land that God had given them. Uh, and uh, it was a, a marvelous uh, a time of redemption, of being redeemed, of being redeemed. By the time we get to Isaiah's day, it already is used as a metaphor for an eschatological end time redemption. The year of Jubilee is already being referred to as an end time time of redemption. So when we come to Yeshua, Yeshua tells all kinds of parables uh, about debts being forgiven. You know, about debts being forgiven. But he relates it to the forgiveness of sins and how our sins are uh, are forgiven, how we're released. Uh, but here in uh, Isaiah chapter 61, he talks about specific things in real people's lives, not just a theological construct, not just uh, a theological concept, not just an idea, but he talks about real deliverance in people's lives. We know that sin is the reason for bondage of whatever it is. Sin is the ultimate reason for the sins of this world and the bondages of this world and the inequities of this world and the biases and injustices of this world. It is not the way that God made it. Uh, it's all as the result of sin. And so we're all born and raised in the, in the atmosphere of sin. Right. But when the Messiah came, he came to bring a, a, a new alternative, a new way of thinking, a new way of, of life, a way to live out his word. His word is true. His word does not teach injustice and inequity uh, and, uh, you know, all of the, the problems of, of, of this world. The word of God doesn't teach that. But he came to empower us to be able to to be able to live that way to be able to live his way, to live the Messiah way, to live the Yeshua life, uh, to live the, the life of the, of the moral and ethical character of God uh, in this world. Yes, he came to redeem us from the bondage of sin uh, so that we can live with him forever, so that, you know, uh, uh, so that we uh, are saved from eternal damnation, no doubt. But there's so much more. Uh, he came to change the world, 
uh, and, and to redeem the world. And we get to be change agents in what he's doing. Uh, and as we like to say, God has a wonderful plan for this world. Uh, and when Yeshua came and died for our sins and rose from the dead, he broke that bondage of sin and in his resurrection gave us new life. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he came to the place of that authority and poured out the Ruach so that we could participate in God's wonderful plan for this world and to make a difference in this uh, in this world. And so the good news is real deliverance. Uh, deliverance, as it says here, uh, good news to the afflicted, to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to captives, prisoners, uh, as he uh, uh, quotes it here in the Gospel of Luke, the release of captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set free those who are downtrodden. That's really good news. Uh, you know, and the deliverance is supposed to be uh, real. And so it's important that when we share the good news, that we really are sharing good news right now. In order to appropriate this, we have to repent. Uh, we have to be freed from uh, all from the bondages uh, of uh, of of sin. And uh, how important it is, you know, for us to uh, for us to recognize that and realize that we're called to live a different way. So, what does this mean to us? Well, let me suggest it means a couple of different things. One is there's an inward way and there's an outward way. The inward way is uh, our own selves. We need to uh, make sure that we're doing as the scripture says. When, when Paul is talking to the congregation at Colossae and at Ephesus and at Philippi, he talks about putting off the old way, putting on the new way. So we as individuals and as communities need to make sure that we are in the process of living transformational lives, living transformational lives. So, for example, uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 4. Well, actually, I'm going to go back to chapter 2. In chapter 2, now this is the ultimate passage about reconciliation of Jew and Gentile. We know that. This is our bread and butter, you know, at Beth Messiah. When we uh, uh, talk uh, here in uh, Ephesians, whoops, in Ephesians chapter 2, when we talk about uh, uh, beginning in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, that which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. He is our peace who made both into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. He came and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and uh, peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Now, of course, in its context, he's talking about 
Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Now, when he says here, abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments in ordinances, you have to read that. You always have to read that carefully. He's not saying abolishing in his flesh the Torah. Okay, he's not saying that. He is not saying that. He says, abolishing uh, in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments in dogmata, in dogmas, in edicts. In other words, enmity is hostility. The Torah does not teach hostility. Uh, it does not teach hostility. It teaches dignity uh, uh, toward others. When you read in Leviticus chapter 19, love your neighbor as yourself, you need to read verse 34 of Leviticus chapter 19 after that because the alien and the stranger is is referred to as the one whom we're supposed to love. Okay? So the Torah itself does not teach hostility, but unfortunately in traditions of man we read uh, there uh, there is enmity, hostility. But now let's make an application to our world today. When he talks about Gentile here, that's a huge category. That is everybody except Jews. It's, it's the majority of the entire world. Gentiles means everybody else of every tongue, tribe, and nation. It means every ethnic group that there is known to man and beyond, right? So when we talk about there's no enmity in the body of Messiah, we can make the application not just to Jew and Gentile, but to white and black, uh, uh, brown, uh, whatever color our skin is, whatever our ethnicity is, we are not called uh, to uh, put it in the melting pot and melt away our ethnicity. We are not called to do that. Okay, we are called to maintain, be who we are, yet recognize. That in Messiah, we are one. Our testimony is that there is no enmity. So there must be. So that's where we start. There must be no enmity in the community. No enmity in the community. That means not only no bigotry, no uh, injustice, uh, no uh, inequality, but also latent thoughts of it. And we all have to, we all have to test ourselves on that. You know, we all come from somewhere. We're all brought up some way. And we have to really check ourselves uh, and really repent, perhaps, of uh, ways that we have thought uh, about people, groups, uh, and individuals. Very important for us all, because that is a cornerstone of the testimony of Messiah followers. Now, I know I'm going to butcher this. But, you know, in 1963, Martin Luther King gave a, a speech and he said, you know, the most segregated time uh, in America is Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. It's a great statement. What he meant was, is that when people go to worship, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the most segregated time in America, right? But, you know, so our testimony is, is yes, Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, right? White and black, one in Messiah, rich and poor one in Messiah, and that we really are one in, that we're not just saying it, and we're not just talking about a theological idea, right? But we live it, yet we maintain our personal distinctives. That is very important to the good news, as it says in the book of Revelation, right? Every tribe and tongue and people group, we don't all become some other thing, right?
Uh, uh, very important. You know, the one new man is a transformed human being, transformed humanity. Uh, it doesn't mean that we lose our uh, ethnic cultural distinctives, but we rejoice in them and we, uh, we appreciate them. So very important. So when Philip goes to Samaria and he preaches Messiah, he doesn't preach uh, to the Samaritans, stop being Samaritans, right? Uh, but he preaches Messiah because in that good news of the inbreaking of the kingdom, there is acceptance of the Samaritan person. There is acceptance of that person's uh, dignity. Yet there is the forgiveness of sins because the power of sin has been broken. And we demonstrate it in this sense of the expunging of uh, enmity. Okay, so we have that. Now, when we go on, after this whole discourse of being one in Messiah, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Preserve the unity. In Messiah, organically, there is unity. Because when we come to know Messiah, remember that it's not just he comes to live in me. He, we come to dwell in him, okay, as much as he comes to live in me. We dwell in him. And so if we dwell in him, that means I dwell in him, you dwell in him, you dwell in him, you dwell in him. And if we dwell in him, there is, there is an automatic unity. We're unified in him. The only way that there is no unity is if sin gets in the way. The only way there's no unity is if sin gets in the way. Uh, very, very important to, uh, you know, for us to un understand. Uh, but then he goes on to talk about how we should live. Uh, and uh, he says uh, here, in beginning in verse 17 of Ephesians 4, uh, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the pagans also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given them, themselves over to sensuality, the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, but you did not learn Messiah this way. Okay? Uh, uh, now, he goes on to say here in verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of Messiah has been created in righteousness, and holiness and truth. He says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to one another, uh, each one of you with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Be angry yet do not sin. Do not let the sin go down on your anger. If we move down, he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear it. And, and he goes on. If we go over to, to Colossians, in uh, chapter 3, there uh, we read something very uh, uh, similar. He says, Now put aside uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of Messiah. And he talks about uh, having a heart of compassion. He says, and so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, holy and blameless, really what he's saying, being a holy nation and a kingdom of priests, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint, uh, just as the Lord forgave you, so should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And I could keep going, but he's speaking to these communities and he's saying, that's what, how you need to live. We can't, he's not just talking about us individually. He's talking about us communally. That's how we're supposed to live. That means no enmity. It means we really love each other. It means that there is a true unity amongst, amid the diversity. And uh, how important that is for us to get. You know, Beth Messiah, we're an ethnically Jewish congregation, but for all people to come, we are one in Messiah, right? Uh, Jew and Gentile, but really what I, we should say is Jewish and black and uh, uh, people who are Irish and Italian, uh, French, Canadian, uh, whatever we may be. You, you know, from uh, West Virginia, from California, from other countries, whatever it may be. Yet we have a particular distinctive that we have here, yet we are one in Messiah. And that is an important testimony for us uh, uh, to maintain. That is important for all Messiah followers in any congregation to maintain that unity. So inwardly. So what does it mean, the kingdom of God? What does it mean to demonstrate it? What does it mean to live this way? So first, inwardly, no enmity, but en but love uh, and concern for one another, uh, really uh, laying down our lives one for another. That is a very important uh, element uh, in uh, our message. But then there is the outward part of our message. There is... Uh, not only how we treat one another, but how we relate to the world around us. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, we read here, uh, down in verses, um, beginning in verse 12. In verse 12, this is after he talks about have the attitude of Messiah, have an attitude of humility, have an attitude of deference, and here's how Messiah did it. Right? Then he says in verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. Not for my good pleasure. Right? For his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Messiah I might have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So we appear to, we're supposed to appear to this world uh, as lights in the world. So this is very important. If we're to if we're to be the light, 
right, in a darkened world. We have to remember that the world is indeed darkened. What do we read in Colossians chapter 1, a passage we like to refer to now and then, right, that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the world is the domain of darkness. We have to recognize that, that uh, uh, there is sin all over the place, right? Uh, and so we're called to be lights. We are called to take the kingdom of heaven and bring it down right here and demonstrate it in our midst, but it needs to pour out, pour over, you know, into the world uh, uh, in the way that we uh, relate to the world. So how do we advance this message? How, how is it that we are able uh, to bring transformation? We're not interested simply in progress. We're not interested in reforming the world. We're interested in transforming, not reforming, not conforming, but transforming the world. Uh, and so very important for us to be thinking outside the box about ways uh, in order uh, uh, to do that. And so one thing we need to take seriously is the message that we read about in Luke chapter 4. When we read again, uh, he anointed me to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Uh, and, and so we need to go to those who are downtrodden, those who are poor, uh, those who are captives, those who are needy. And we need to proclaim uh, the message of release, of, of redemption. Uh, very important. Uh, you know, uh, very interestingly, uh, in a magazine called Christianity Today, CT as you know it, uh, uh, there's a little article here. It goes back 20 years. <laughs> 20 years. So what is the good news? What is the good news? Uh, and so I'm just going to read uh, what it said. What, what is the content of this good news? First, what it is not. The gospel is not a religious institution nor a religious system to be managed. It is not a program to be implemented, nor a series of pragmatic choices that one makes to achieve happiness and eternal bliss, right? The gospel is not something that can be bought. Many who live and breathe American consumerism consciously or unconsciously come to believe that the gospel is for sale. It is not. The good news uh, the gospel of good news is a person, Yeshua. Of course, I'm saying Yeshua. It says Jesus here, but I'll say Yeshua. Yeshua of Nazareth, who walked on this earth to offer an alternative to humanity devoid of real hope. This Yeshua of Nazareth, who died on a cross in order to redeem humanity, announced himself as coming to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. As such, Yeshua, the gospel, is the absolute interruption in the seeming continuity of the historical process. In other words, he breaks into the, to, to the process. He breaks into the institutions. 
I can't stress that enough. He is the breaking in that offers true life by giving voice to the voiceless, face to the faceless, and identity to the marginalized and oppressed of this world. He is the scandal that challenges every culture and every society through history. Ultimately, Yeshua of Nazareth, a person, is Emmanuel, God with us. He is a gift to be received, and that gift is the ultimate source of all hope. Uh, and, and so that's, we. Yeshua is the good news. And so when Philip preaches Messiah, that's what he's uh, preaching. And that is what we need to be preaching, good news. We often here at Beth Messiah talk about the good news of the restoration of Israel. But I will say this, you know, there in, in the Jewish world, there are people that are feel hopeless, helpless, depressed, marginalized, you know? I, I, and so it's important for us to recognize that. But not only in the Jewish community, we're called as a Messianic congregation to be a light to the nations, to be a light to our community. And so we need to think of ways as individuals and as a community of bringing this message in word and deed to the world in which we live. You know, I read a book and heard a speaker um, a few years back. The name of the book is called Unlikely, Setting Aside Our Differences to Live Out the Gospel. And it's by a man named Kevin Palau. Kevin Palau. Now that may name, if you're an older person, that name might sound familiar. His father was like the Billy Graham of South America, Luis Palau, who I heard on several occasions uh, speak many years ago. But anyway, Kevin Palau uh, lives in Portland, Oregon. And uh, he uh, wrote this book because he had a particular conviction of this, of bringing the kingdom of God to Portland. And he talks about a number of things, and I decided not to quote anything in the book because it'll take too long. <laughs> but I'm just going to summarize a little bit of it. He realized that what the city of Portland uh, uh, understood about the community of believers is everything the believers don't like, everything that the believers point their fingers at. And so the city of Portland, the mayor, the city council, they were kind of like antagonists to the uh, community of believers and Messiah, Messiah followers, uh, because they just saw them as uh, condemning, uh, as just a, a, a condemning group of people. You might say, focusing on in Isaiah 61, and this is something I think we need to really uh, think about ourselves, uh, is uh, in Isaiah 61, remember that Yeshua when he says to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, he doesn't say, and the day of vengeance of our God. <laughs> he doesn't say that part, right? I think that for some, for many of us, we're like focusing on that part, right? That we're, we want to preach the vengeance. <laughs> yeah. But he's saying release, release of, of people, uh, forgiveness, uh, acceptance, uh, justice, equity, all those things that the world so dearly wants, Messiah has made available when he poured out the Ruach. And so what, what we're supposed to be doing is being the emissaries of good news. 
Now, it requires repentance. We can't live in sin at the same time, so it requires repentance. And it's a narrow door and all of that, but the good news is what is indeed available. So Kevin Palau decided that he wanted to turn the tables. So he went to see the mayor of uh, uh, Portland, and he, and he just said, you know, this is who I am. This is what I represent, but I want to be helpful. Is there something that we can do to be helpful? So the mayor, in a very patronizing kind of way, told him to take, take his people and go like to the worst part of town and paint the park benches. You know, like be good boys and girls and go ahead and do that and, and you'll be good. So uh, what Kevin Palau decided to do was paint all the park benches. <laughs> you know, everything, wherever they could find park benches in, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you know, and, 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 and make this different and not make a big deal out of it and, and not make it uh, this, um, you know, uh, some kind of a, a public uh, moment of a, a photo opportunity uh, or anything like that. Right. Just doing it. Now, he calls it in the book. It's very interesting. He calls it a gospel centered, a gospel centered approach. It's so it wasn't just doing that. But, but as they did it, people wondered, who are you? Why are you doing this? And they would talk about the Lord. They would talk about who Messiah is and, and who he, what he means to them uh, and the restoration and the redemption and the freedom uh, that this means. That is a gospel-centered approach of word and deed. Uh, and, uh, and so he goes on to talk about this you know, in a, in a varieties, variety of ways. Uh, there's a lot of great quotes uh, in the book. One of them is, 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 he says this, we're not here to fix the cities, talking about Portland, but we could say fix the problem. You know, we could say that about C Columbus, Ohio. Uh, you know, we're not here to fix the city. God does that. We're here to demonstrate the love of God. That's what he says. We're here to display the love of God. He says, we're not here to fix a broken system. We're here to redeem broken people. Uh, and what an approach. What a way to frame uh, serving God, right? Uh, and, and the reality is, is we do have a message of good news for our, for our world. And that message needs to be disseminated uh, in a way that people can receive it, in a way that people can see it. Uh, and so that's a real challenge for us. Uh, certainly in our world right now that is so broken and so hurting, I, uh, we might say, well, what can we do? And it seems rather frustrating uh, uh, and, and we worry and we're anxious. May I suggest that we really live out the strength of the Messiah in our lives and we stop feeling this anxiety and recognize the power of God who dwells within us and get out there and make a difference. Uh, th that difference can begin with talking to people, just talking to people who are different than yourself, right? Or serving a community or bringing some people together and, and finding opportunities. I will say that in Gahanna, I, uh, the, um, the, the different congregations that are in Gahanna, uh, function very much in, uh, you know, in, um, in, in com good communication with the mayor and the board of education and, 
you, you know, in the police and the and the fire department and, and you know and, and so on and Grin. Uh, that that's a great organization of really uh, participating and helping people. That's something very local that we can really participate in. But that's what we can do because it's not just simply about, uh, you know, uh, trying to change this world. It is about transforming the world. And the reality is, is that it is Yeshua who changes lives. And we are the agents. We are the messengers. We're the people who bring the message. But it is God who changes lives. It is God who transforms. And we know that the day is coming when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a whole new way. But we can begin that now. That's what we mean by living the future today, living Israel's future today, by really uh, living that way, uh, you know, and doing that. And, and so I, that's just a word for us, I think, uh, uh, today. Uh, think about Philip going to the city of Samaria, uh, preaching Messiah. May we go and preach Messiah. Preach Messiah to the downtrodden, to the broken, uh, to those who are hurting, uh, uh, to people in high places, to people in low places, wherever it may be. And may we be able to do this in a good news-centered way. And that uh, really brings change to people's lives. Not trying to reform a broken system, but transform broken people. That's what we're about. And that's what, indeed, uh, you know, Yeshua was about. Uh, you know, uh, back in Luke again, uh, in Luke chapter 4, interestingly enough, after he uh, he's in the synagogue when he makes this great statement about the release of captives and so on, uh, it says right after that, he says in verse 21, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? They were cavelling. They were cavelling over Joseph's son, right? They saw him grow up. Wow, look what he's made of himself, right? He said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here and in your hometown as well. He said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. He's saying, you know, right now you're saying you're, you're flattering me. Bad news to flatter, right? But you're not going to like me after a while. And wasn't that the truth? He says, but I tell you the truth. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine which came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. What's important about that is that's in modern-day Lebanon, okay? Uh, in other words, he's saying, I went to the outsider, and you're not going to like it. I went to the outsider, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, only Nahum, the Syrian. And then it says, and all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard, heard these words. Why? Because that's what he was saying. I say, I'm going to the outsider. I'm going to the people that, generally speaking, we don't have anything to do with. You see? Uh, and so uh, that was Yeshua's calling. That is Yeshua's life. And that is our life. Uh, now, uh, but we can apply that to anybody, not just, uh, not just people that we literally uh, have nothing to do with, 
but just those who don't know Messiah, wherever hurting people may be. There is darkness all around us. Let us truly be agents of life and stop feeling sorry for ourselves today, right? We're not meeting in person. Oh, no. But you know what? This is a great opportunity. We're not really being, I would not call it persecution, but we're uncomfortable. And may our discomfort lead us to great things, you know? Uh, and, uh, and as we see a broken world, when you watch the news and you see everything going on and we see a broken world, may we not resign ourselves to simply saying, oh, what a mess, and we better pray for it. Maybe God will do something. Perhaps God wants us to do something, right? To be his arms and his legs in this world. Uh, and so finally, as we read here again in Philippians chapter 2, uh, as we read a moment ago, but just so that we might remember it, uh, may um, we prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. May we truly be lights in this world. May we truly be those change agents. May we rejoice in the Lord. May we be bold in our testimony. You know, remember that uh, when uh, Peter and John were arrested and they were told not to share their message, that's when they said, we must obey God rather than men. And they went away and they didn't uh, feel bad about it. In fact, they were rejoicing and they prayed not that they would uh, uh, be comfortable, not that they wouldn't be persecuted, but they prayed for boldness in their testimony. So uh, everyone, may we pray for boldness in our testimony now, and may we make a difference. There's a lot of people that are hurting right now, a lot of people who are worried and anxious. May we be among those who have a message to share verbally, through deed, and please, may we be extra careful what we write on our social media, what we write. May we not add flame to the fire. May we not propagate fear uh, mongering. May we not spread rumors. May we not just join the fray, whether you know politically or otherwise. What are we trying to accomplish? What is our goal? Is it to release people to know the Lord? Is it to uh, a Messiah-centered approach to how we communicate? I sure hope that it is, because that is our opportunity today. Well, that's our my thought for today, and I, I trust we resonate with that uh, uh, and uh, may we go to God and pray. Lord, thank you, God, for the power of uh, the good news. Thank you, Lord, for the good news. Thank you that you have redeemed us. You have released us. You have delivered us. Lord, and we know that deliverance is not just a theological idea that will take place after we die, but that we have been delivered already. We've been delivered from bad attitudes. We've been delivered from thinking uh, uh, in a darkened way. We have been redeemed. We have been delivered from bigotry. We have been delivered from inequality. We have been delivered from 
ideas of injustice. We have been delivered from enmity. Lord, may we share this good news with others. The world wants this message, but without all of it, the trappings. Lord, may we use uh, your wisdom in bringing this message to a dying world, Lord. And uh, God, thank you for the opportunity that we have. Thank you for the assurance that we have in you. Thank you, Lord, that we are seated with you in heavenly places. Thank you, Lord, that we can intercede and pray with you for this world in power. Thank you, Lord, that we can go with you into different neighborhoods. We can go with you uh, and be agents of change in this world. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you have given us the opportunity to participate in what you're doing in this world. Uh, Lord, we do pray that we would indeed make that kind of difference in this world now, that we might live out the good news, uh, Lord, as we live our lives uh, uh, today. God, we thank you and we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.